0: Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry,
2: a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon.
1: And we're on. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. I'm your host. I have Simon. I have Chris here with me. But before we get into Adam Gase's comments at the owners meeting this week in Orlando, Chris, you were at a Michael bolton concert this
3: week <laughs> <laughs> what a start to the podcast
2: you, you 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 say that you laugh like i should be ashamed of this i i think that hey. this is it was a magical event listen i was there with my daughter this is something that i was able to share with her and uh and and we showed up to bush gardens and we're riding the tram we're riding away way in the back and uh the tram guy is right in front of us and he's he's talking about what's going on at bush gardens that day and 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 turn around and i say wait a minute did you just say Michael Bolton is here? <laughs> and, and sure enough, you know Michael Bolton is there. So I would we're, have gone uh, we're... straight
3: to the car park and headed out as fast <laughs> as possible on the nearest highway.
1: Please tell me that that concert was free. Uh,
3: yeah, it I was. They, uh, it I was definitely they paid, free.
2: They paid, they paid Chris to turn up. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was the uh, the uh, I was the opening act, but um, yep, got my daughter's uh, face painted like a rainbow tar- tiger, and we went in there and uh, and heard uh, you know some of the greats, uh, when a man loves a woman, and uh, he actually sang Ain't No Mountain High Enough, and then my daughter got tired of it.
3: Go figure. Yeah, I bet she did. Alf, just imagine <laughs> having a young child and and put, put putting them through that amount of suffering.
1: It's don't call anybody it's on abuse. me. It is abuse. don't, don't call
3: Social protective services. services.
1: Well, let's get into somebody who's just as interesting as Michael Bolton and says just as many interesting things, Adam Gase. He was at uh, the Orlando meetings this week with the owners, and he spoke to SI, he spoke to the Herald, he spoke to the Sun Sentinel. Chris, did you find anything that he said interesting, any quotes you found interesting?
2: Yeah, you know, there was actually, the money quote for me was uh, when he started talking about the safety position, and... Uh, He says and I have this from Omar Kelly of the South Florida Sun Sentinel. He said, I don't think it really turned out as well as we thought with what we saw in training camp. We didn't have the chemistry we wanted. He's speaking about TJ McDonald, of course, and Rashad Jones. And when I'm hearing this, I'm seeing this, you know, alarm bells are going off in my head. For a couple of reasons. One, I really hated the McDonald extension that happened at the end of training camp. I didn't think it was necessary. I didn't understand it. Um, I thought that there's no way you should be you should be fearing the free agent safety market the next year such that you're giving a guy uh, a truckload of six million dollars based on a training camp. Um, They had him March 31st, 2017. They had him signed to a one-year cheap deal. They should have kept him that way. He was about to serve half a season of suspension, and you got to see him in some games and see if he fits your system, see if he fits with Rashad Jones. Evidently, he didn't, and so Adam Gase is kind of acknowledging this now, and the other alarm bell that's going off in my head is I'm thinking, wait a minute, TJ McDonald only makes $1.5 million of cash salary this year, all right? So does that scream to me that he is our locked-in starter at safety opposite Rashad Jones? No, absolutely not. So all this time we've been talking about, all three of us have really talked about Derwin James a lot, Minka Fitzpatrick. And it seems like every time we do, somebody pipes up and says, oh, yeah, but TJ McDonald. Well, Adam Gase just piped up and said, TJ who? So uh, I think that you have to look at that safety position and say that it's open. It's wide open. And what does that mean? That means first round, you're looking at Derwin James and Minka Fitzpatrick. Second round, you're looking at... Uh, Out of Stanford, Justin Reed and um, and also Ronnie Harrison out of Alabama and perhaps your guy, uh, your guy, Simon, Jesse Jesse Bates. Bates, Absolutely. Uh, And then third round, you're going to be looking at another guy that I like, a really good athlete in Terrell Edmonds, the brother of Tremaine Edmonds, who tested through the, you know, through the roof. At the combine, and he's another son of Farrell Edmonds, former Miami Dolphin player. Um, and you're looking at him. You're also going to look at uh, Jordan Whitehead out of Pitt, and he was coached last year by who? Ronaldo Hill, the guy who just came back to the Miami yep. Dolphins and is now our assistant defensive backs coach under Tony Oden. I mean, so I think, I, fasc-
3: I think it's fascinating that point that you make as well about. Giving in the money because people keep talking about Tannenbaum's the bad guy, Tannenbaum's the bad guy. We'll never do anything with Tannenbaum. We've got to get him out of town. Chris Greer's the smart guy. Chris Greer's the smart guy. He's such a smart Is he? Is Chris Greer really the smart guy? Because literally, they gave a guy a $25 million contract based on what he did in training camp knowing that he'd been a problem off the field a little bit he's got the 8 game suspension he had to set the world alight in 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 LA with the with the Rams uh, that that to me is just almost more astonishing than the Andre the branch contract and the Alonso contract you know you just think why would you do that why would you not just let it play out for a season see how that chemistry works See how TJ works. Where are you going to play him? How's he going to fit with Rashad? Especially having you know half a season gone by before they can even play together. Uh, it just staggers me that that's what they did.
1: Yeah, Simon, but you got to understand, he did look great running around in his underwear.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I look great running around in my underwear, but I'm not going to play eight games in the, you know, play in the NFL. Overrated. <laughs> and,
1: and, and he almost injured uh, Devontae Parker, was it in in, in camp? Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, think I think there was a point he almost injured
2: uh, Ryan Tannehill. I remember. Yeah. I remember there was a there was a, a point before Tannehill
1: actually got injured. Um, there was kind of a scary moment. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, he does move the me- the needle for me when I've seen him play.
3: But... He played well in certain games. So against the Patriots, he, he was really good against the Patriots. Yeah. You know, yeah. he looked smart. He looked athletic. Uh, a couple of times he attacked, took Dion Lewis down in the backfield, played really, really well. Other times you just think, oh, I'm not sure what I'm seeing here. You know, he's he's a malleable piece. You know, is he a box safety? Are you going to play him in single high? What are you going to, you know, how does he work with Rashad's skill set, which is still pretty elite in terms of, you know, you look around the league and Rashad is still an elite NFL safety. But do they fit together perfectly? Do they do the same thing? Do they do similar things well? And if they do, are you actually missing out on some of the other things that Rashad perhaps doesn't do as well? Do you know what I mean? Because you've got two guys who are potentially a little bit similar. They both like to attack the the line of scrimmage. And Rashad does it as well as anybody in the NFL.
2: And even if you had him or even if you have him at a couple of good games. Last year uh, when he came back he played half the year he played half the year on suspension half the year not suspended sure he had a couple of good games you're talking about giving him a wheelbarrow with six million dollars of cash that you did not owe him you did not owe him this money you signed him on March 31st in 2017 for a one year deal. Uh, very cheap money and then a couple months later you're like here here's six million dollars for no reason out of the kindness of our hearts that's what they paid him in terms of signing bonus roster bonus workout bonus and his final salary so they just gave him six million dollars and you know what that six million dollars made a difference this offseason they were they were really tight against the cap they had to make some tough decisions this offseason and that six million dollars would have made a difference
1: well i'll tell you what i found really really interesting interesting he was he was asked about the leadership void that was created by the losses in free agency and he had a one sentence quote and i'll read it he said i think we added more than we lost what do you make of that, Simon?
3: It's interesting, it, and we're going to talk about culture, you know, in the sort of second half of the show. And uh, it is fascinating that it, fairly damning indictment on the guys that they got rid of. Um, I always feel a little bit—what's the term? I just feel a bit uncomfortable about, or, you know, these are our guys. These are our guys, and Damakin is a great guy, and Jarvis is a fiery guy, but we love him, and Pounce is a great center, and he's a great leader. And, and then as soon as they're out the door, it's like pfft, these guys. They were terrible. They were cancerous. They yeah. were this. It just sits a bit <laughs> uncomfortably with me. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like we should be better than that. And I, and I get and like I said, we're going to talk a lot about the culture in, in part two of the show. And I get that the guys they brought in, the Amendolas, the Albert Wilsons, these kind of guys, you know, high high intelligence, football intelligence, smart guys, kind of alpha dogs, winners. You know, especially you look at Amendola. But you know, Josh Sitton is not a guy who was a particular leader in Green Bay. The last eighteen months, two years, he was a bit of a, a, a malcontent in terms of, you know, some complaints towards Ted Thompson and, and around the offensive room that didn't sit particularly well, which is why when everybody was surprised that Josh Josh Shitton was allowed to leave the Packers, or he was cut by the Packers, people were like going, I can't believe it, it's an all pro guard. Why is he well once you dug a little bit deeper and you spoke to the you know the Bob McGinns and the Pete Bukowski's and people like that who who deal with Green Bay on a day to day basis you soon understood that actually Sitton wasn't the perfect human being in the locker room. So I, I don't know. It feels a little bit like cutting off, cutting your nose off to spite your face at times. Uh, it just sits a bit uncomfortably with me.
2: I think also, yeah, I would echo your point in that it's a little uncomfortable. But uh, for a guy in Adam Gase who does so much during the season um, and when he's in front of these cameras and at these pressers uh, to protect his players, And to basically I mean, I I don't think I don't think he has any compunction against just outright lying in order to protect his players to the press. Maybe I'm in the minority on that, but I think he's a lot like uh, his old boss, Nick Saban, in that way, that he will protect his players and say anything, do anything uh, with the press to protect them. For a guy that does that, certainly when they leave, he really he really put them he really put them on blast. Yeah, and this, that that's that's what that statement was you know yeah. we lost we we gained more than we lost this, and this, I, I i think that punishes and just to make a quick point because we made it before is that punishes like look at endomic and sue uh, you know and and what did he get punished for he got punished for financially but now you got these sort of whispers oh he wasn't the right locker room leader that we wanted and and but they talked sort
3: of about jordan phillips is he's taking jordan phillips under his wing and jordan phillips has moved out to california with him and he's working out with him in Oregon, and and then all yeah. of a sudden Damakin's a bad guy. I, I yeah. don't, you, can't, you can't be one thing and then the other just because it doesn't suit your narrative. That's the thing that sits uncomfortably with me.
2: That's yeah. exactly right. And and they're punishing him, they're punishing Dominic Sue and I'll I'll get to you in a second, but they're punishing him because he's being a professional. He's acting like this is a profession, a career, a job and he's taking it's it seriously business. like a it's job and time. it's a business. Yeah, it's so. a business.
3: It can it has to work both ways. It's a, it can't just be a business for the team and not for the players. It has to be a, you know, And Danikin, you know, nobody deserves that amount of money, but that's the business that they are in. He got paid a certain amount of money to perform at a very high level which he did consistently week in week out he was never injured he was never a bad guy yeah he's a bit aloof yeah he's a bit different or whatever but like i said they were talking about how great he was with the young guys and he did this with god Chow. and you can't just turn around and say oh well phew, i think we've had enough of him now because he wasn't like he wasn't as great as we actually made out last year and you just think pick pick a side and, and stick with it i'd have a lot more respect for you if you if you did I There yeah. the two things that stood out for me. I don't know, Alf, what you thought about this. Two of, the, two of Gase's statements. One was, and I watched the video as well, so I watched the sort of 57 minutes back, and the giddy look on his face when he was asked about Tanner Hill and the fact that Gase is getting his quarterback back, isn't he? He's getting a guy that he really respects, he really likes, he's excited about. You know, he's only had him for 12 games, 12 of his 32 games. He's really excited about that. That's, that's point one. And point two was that, and this, I suppose, was Chris and I talked about this as well, as almost the most fascinating thing that he said is that, and this is not a verbatim quote, but he said pretty much, I I kind of feel like I've got the guys that I want now. This is kind of my team three years in, which is quite an interesting statement for a guy who's gone 16-16 over the first two seasons. Everybody loved him season one. All the difficulties with losing Tannehill season two and then the cutler thing and it didn't really work. We missed the playoffs and didn't play very well and the way it just disintegrated at the back end of the season. You're almost, with that statement, you're almost putting yourself unintentionally on the hot seat when you don't necessarily have to do that. I don't know what you guys think, but two really interesting statements that the coach made.
1: Well, I, I completely back up his uh, his hill statements because you lived through the Cutler era and so did he. Now The
3: Cutler era, is that what we're calling it? <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, now let me, let me be clear. I am certain that when they signed Jake Cutler to that $10 million contract, that he thought to himself, watch, we're going to win 11 games. I'm going to look like a genius. And maybe we trade Tannehill and maybe Cutler has another year in him and we draft a guy and I'm, you know, and I'm the new flavor of the month in the NFL. Now it completely blew up in his face. And it's kind of obvious that it was him. It was Adam Gase and Adam Gase alone. That pushed for Jay Cutler, so that he's now singing the praises of Tannehill. I think he's just he's basically stating the obvious.
3: But he said he was asked a question about Osweiler, wasn't he? And he said, you know, why did you sign Brock? And he and he kind of pulled that screw face that he does, and he said, you know, when you get a guy at the quarterback position that you've worked with before, you can skip three or four steps. There's just an understanding that you don't get with another guy. So you can clearly see his mindset about uh, and as much as we self flagellate about the Cutler decision. There aren't 32 good starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And when your guy goes down, you have to do something. I backhandedly praise him for trying to do something. It didn't work. And it did blow up in his face. But I'm not sure what else he could have done. But he certainly seems, Chris, that kind of very sort of, okay, Ryan's back. Ross said the same thing. You know, we, we're we're a better team by the very nature of the fact that we're getting our franchise quarterback back. There's got to be some sense of excitement about Ryan coming back.
1: Yeah. Before Chris gets in here, let, let me let me make something clear. Uh, the Dolphins did go six and ten without their starting quarterback. The greatest quarterback on the his in the history of the planet, in my opinion, is Aaron Rodgers. And Green yeah. Bay went seven and nine while getting seven games from him. Yeah. So when you lose your starting quarterback, it's really not supposed to look all that great. So yep. maybe six and ten was actually on, on the high end of what they could have achieved last year. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a little bit mixed in that you know clearly you lose Ryan Tannehill, you lose your starting quarterback, and that explains things. And if we're looking at it from the outside looking in, and we're also trying to look at this from a sort of a mile high view, then you say, yeah, you lost your starting quarterback. It didn't work out too well. Twenty eighteen is going to be sort of a reset. But I think there's that level of uh, of disingenuousness to it when, like Alf said, we know what he was thinking when Jay Cutler came on, okay? We know how quickly Matt Moore got shoved aside and how Ryan Tannehill had probably not even had an MRI yet before Adam Gaze had his first conversation with Jay Cutler, okay? Um, and I remember that, that the, the diagnosis for Ryan Tannehill at the time was was up in the air it was not you know cut and dried as soon as he went down he's out for the rest of the season and yet adam GaSe was having conversations with cutler that weekend i mean we kind of know how that was now so to to talk to take up that narrative now and say that you know it was all ryan Tannehill. he's gone he's back you know we're gonna have a redo in this year and we're gonna be in the playoffs again because of ryan Tannehill. that's what it was and it's just really convenient even though it might actually be true, but it's really convenient. It doesn't it doesn't come off sounding right. So I agree with you guys there.
1: Does anybody really think that he is in the, on the hot seat this year? Like let's say relative health, young guys play well, and we still go eight and eight. Do you think I not, that they're looking I, elsewhere?
3: No, I don't think so. Uh, and it goes back to something I was told in the off season that, uh, and w- the three of us have discussed privately that Steve Ross believes that he has found his modern day Don Shula. Uh, and, and, you know, stuff that we've quoted before. Look, Gays are 16 and 16 in two seasons, 32 games, not including their playoff loss to Pittsburgh, 32 games, 12, uh, and he's had Tannehill for only 12 of them. You look at Mike McCarthy, he's 17 and 15 in the same time. That's Mike McCarthy, Super Bowl winner with a better Green Bay team and probably the greatest quarterback of all time. And he's 17 and And he had Rodgers for 22 of those 32 games. So 10 more games than we had. Than we had Tannehill for so there has to be a little bit of kind of quid pro quo in terms of just evening this out. But I do not think that, listen, if we go three and 13 or something, then clearly he's going to be on the hot seat. But I don't think we're a three and 13 team, I think. You know, I think we are with a good draft. You know, and God knows we could do with a good draft. Although we've obviously got better over the last few years, but I, I do think there is definite talent on this team, and that you know there are there, we are not bottom barrel scrapers of of the AFC. There are you know we are in the mix with the Tennessees and the the teams like that on the periphery of. Kind of competing for playoffs. I absolutely believe that, especially if seventeen can stay healthy.
1: Well, ESPN called uh, us the worst team in in the NFL this year.
3: I mean, it's it's I mean, that's absolutely the most pathetic. I mean, that just that that just strikes me as a major organization. Look at Dion Sanders today. Dion Sanders made a, said a, said something about how if I don't. If I haven't talked about you, I don't know who you are. Referring to Harrison Smith, the best safety in the NFL, and Kevin, Byard, and Kevin Byard. You know, well, he that, called he
1: called Kevin Byard a, a fan on yeah, Twitter. He was a
3: fan. I mean, that that to me is utterly astonishing and disrespectful. That that somebody who works for a major network can believe that. And look, look, listen, there's 32 teams in the NFL. You can't know about all 30. You know, you and I can't sit here and talk about the. The, the inner workings of what happens with the giants, or the inner workings that happens with the jaguars, or whatever. But
2: I don't know. Pay me what they paid them, well, and we'll see.
3: <laughs> come, come at me with some knowledge. You know, it's uh, the the dolphins oh, are. But you care, Chris. Uh, a lot of them really. don't care.
2: Yeah, I think that's the key. Um, I think I, w- I would disagree. Actually, I think Simon, you you did bring up the point that I would too. Is listen, if this really goes, you know, belly up, uh, then of course Gase could be on the hot seat. I mean, if we're talking three and thirteen or four and 12 and something like that of course he could be on the hot seat i think uh outside of that certainly not but um but and we'll get we're gonna i don't want to go too much into this because we're going to be getting into this in a a bit with the uh the culture issue um but i mean I, i think that if if that goes poorly especially if if Tannehill's healthy it's it's all about what actually happens during the season. It's not just the the final record. It's how you got to that final record. And if they're going like four and twelve or something like that, and the locker room is just rebelling on this 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 culture deal, then yeah, there's a possibility. I, I think it's a kind of a minuscule chance, really, but but it deserves mention.
3: One of the interesting things as well is that we talk about, oh, you know, let's hope we get Baker, because we all love Baker Mayfield, and we hope that we draft him. But actually, that's not what a transitioning team, we're not a team that's breaking up to, to rebuild again. We are a team that's, you know, you, you don't sign an Amandola and a Robert Quinn if if you're going to restart from year zero so as great as it would be to draft Baker Mayfield you know we all know that actually we need a guy who can come in a first round guy and really a second round guy who can pretty much start straight from week one and contribute in the way that let's say a Marshawn Lattimore and a Ryan Ramchick and an Alvin Kamara did last year for the Saints we need that kind of thing to really to really build on now listen we could talk about this all night but we have got to move on so coming up We're going to look at the 2018 Miami Dolphins and the key buzzword, which is not winning, it's culture. But here, first, some news from some very good people.
1: This week on the 5 Reasons Podcast, we're joined for a two-part episode by Eric Reed, the TV voice of the Miami Heat. He recounts some of his best memories from his 30 years with the franchise. Now we play the Bulls in this third game of the series at Miami Arena, first playoff get home game in the history of the franchise, and we run... I think Michael Jordan played like 72 holes of golf on game day, okay? <laughs> and we run out to a 31-10 to 10 lead, uh, you know, in the first quarter. Held Jordan to two points in the first quarter. He scored 54 in the last three. Um, the Bulls <laughs> did beat Miami. Jordan finished with 56, and it's the only time in the history of the franchise where... You didn't feel bad after being eliminated in the playoffs. Part one is already available. Part two available later in the week. Subscribe to Five Reasons Sports on Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store.
3: Seriously, now, check out what those Five Reasons guys are doing. So much great content from Ethan and Chris and the team. You're listening to the Three Yards for Carry podcast with me. I'm Simon Clancy, joined by, as always, Chris Kaufman. And Alfredo Artiaga, we will be here every week talking about your Miami Dolphins. And with that in mind, the word of the season, the word of the off-season is culture. And guys, I've got so many questions on this, but here's three just to kick us off with. Number one, will culture win us games? Number two, if the culture was so bad, why has it taken so long to sort it out? And number three, can you look too hard at culture and actually bypass winning players to essentially get subservient yes men see what i'm trying to say chris where do you you go with this
2: well i think that you absolutely can you can uh, on the latter point particularly the question you can you can get a bunch of yes men and i think that we saw joe philbin even try some of this stuff from a roster standpoint um and the point that i would make about and and i think adam Gase has started a culture war against his own locker room here i don't i I would go further than just you know trying to instill a new culture I think he feels burned by things that went on last year. Uh, he feels maybe taken advantage of, and I think he's going to show up to this year. You're gonna you watch the narratives that pop out of the media as we get on in training camp and preseason and the regular season. The narratives are going to be about how much of a hard ass really uh, Adam Gase has decided to be this year and getting on his locker room. And I he's doing that right now, and we saw it even before he opened his mouth and said a word at these owners meetings, we saw it in the opening salvo of free agency. And I have a tough time believing this in year three, that you're going to win a culture war with your locker room in year three of your coaching tenure. uh, And you're going to do it because you signed a number four wide receiver or a number three running back, or even a number one left guard. Okay. I don't see that being the thing that tips the culture of the locker room in your favor. I think that either you successfully sent the message already uh, by jettisoning Jay Ajayi and Jarvis Landry and those guys have heard that wake-up call or uh, it's not going to work out for you probably. I think that Adam Gase is going to show up and try and be a little bit of a a hard coach and, and do a little hard coaching like his former boss Nick Saban. And it's either going to work or it's not going to work, but it's not going to be because of Frank Gore. It's not going to be because of Danny Amendola, okay, the number four receiver, the number three running back, you know, such like that. It's going to be because of Laramie Tunsil, because of Jawan James, because of Kenyon Drake, Devon Godshaw, Jordan Phillips, Kiko Alonso, Xavier Howard, because these guys either buy it or they don't buy it. And you've either already earned the credibility that you need to go in there and be the hard ass and and get results out of them, or you haven't. Because, you know, unfortunately, he's not doing this in year one. He's doing this in year three. So, you know, this question is already decided. Unfortunately, we don't know what the answer is.
3: Alf, I mean, G- Gay said specifically, and I quote verbatim, you have some alpha dogs who are not going to accept a lot of the BS that has gone on in this locker room. So this is talking about the guys that Chris has just talked about, the number four receiver, the number three running back, the number one left guard, the 33-year-old left guard. I mean, what does that say about what's gone on under his tenure in the past two years and especially last year?
1: Well, first of all, th- this could be the most elaborate t-shirt selling concept of all time. <laughs> like they start selling hashtag culture shirts on MiamiDolphins.com. I'm buying a couple of dozen. When he mentions culture, it's it's it has to be about Landry Sue and Pouncey. Now, yes, they did lose Ryan Tannehill, but they were six and ten. Could they have been six and ten without them? But look if, at the
3: way look at the way Gaze talked about Pouncey, like about all they'd done for the community and all, what a great guy he was. And it he seemed genuine. Two days ago in Orlando. You know, he was asked specifically the question, you look at his face and he was like, you know, it, it pained him to talk about this guy that had gone. So is Mike was Mike Pouncey part of a culture problem? I mean, I was Chris. We've been in the locker room. I, I've never seen Mike Pouncey be anything other than amenable to journalists. You know, you speak to some of the beat guys that you know to to bees and to you know the Hal Habibs and Joe Shads and you know their go to guys were always Michael Thomas. They were always Jamon Bushrod, and it was always Mike Pouncey. They were three guys that win or lose would stand up and be counted. So uh, you know, and we know that what happened with Incognito and, uh, and Jonathan Martin, uh, and we know what you know with the free. Aaron Hernandez hats and all that sort of stuff but you know people do deserve second chances and I just wonder again going back to the point we made in part one is Pouncey was Pouncey a, a bit of a scapegoat for, for this culture phenomenon that seems to be driven through you know through the dolphins at the moment
1: I think that what what happened with Pouncey was that it's, it's it's the fallback again they went I wish that they would just you know level with the fans and and the media and tell them the truth that they asked Pouncey to take a pay cut he said no and they took that opportunity to get rid of him. So, obviously, if, if, if you were around this team, and you were, uh, there's a few guys that were always around Gase and were always like his his right-hand man. And it was always Pouncey. It was always Rashad Jones. Occasionally, you would see Kiko Alonso. It was a lot of Dominican Sioux. And, of course, Ryan Tannehill. Maybe the pro personnel side saw what a lot of us were seeing, that Pouncey probably is on his last leg or last hip. And yep. they saw the opportunity to get rid of him, and that's how they explain it away. Which is not you know, I mean, the right way to do it.
3: No, but it's but but that's the truthful way. You know, Chris, you look at his you look at him in pass protection last year and he was solid. Better than solid at times. But then you look at it in the run game and, and you know, those hips, it was clear he couldn't get the pop in those hips, he couldn't get the drive, he couldn't get the turn, because that's what happens when you've had a degenerative hip problem. You're having to have injections in those hips, you're having to have all you know, animal fetuses injected into the week <laughs> after week, you know, dog placenta, whatever it was that was being put in there to try and make him better, and we laugh, but you know that that was the, you know, Mike was a great servant for this team, he was as a player. But I,
2: I, I to have to say that, um, you know, I have the patent pending on dog placenta for knee injuries. So <laughs> that
3: week two, our podcast, we could change the name to the dog placenta podcast, not. Three yards per three yards per center. <laughs> uh, no, and
2: speaking speaking of you know Mike Pouncey, I think you're exactly right. He was good in pass protection last year, but um, but he didn't. He was certainly not the same in run blocking that we were used to with him. Uh, they replaced him with a guy in Daniel Kilgore that has a very good reputation. Uh, For being a pass protection guy, Uh, more importantly, probably a very good reputation for being an intellectual type and, and really grasping the offense. And I think maybe that's the thing we're talking about this culture war and we're talking about what Pouncey meant to the locker room. And is it really about what Adam Gase said at the owners meetings about Um, you know, these guys not putting up with the crap that's been going on here last year, or are we getting sidetracked in some things? And what it's really about is the intellectual side of the game and the, the ability to grasp the playbook and the, the guys that study it and bring it home. As Adam Gase would say, um, I think that Daniel Kilgore was always in San Francisco, the guy who knew the playbook, even if the playbook was new, he worked with like three different playbooks there. I think, um, even if the playbook was new, he knew it backwards and forward, and he was the guy that you could rely on there. So I think that they're trying to bring a little bit of that in, certainly with Danny Amendola. Um, you know what a what a hard worker he is. What a great work ethic he is. What a try hard, you know, uh, guy that uh, that he is. Jim <laughs> Rat. Jim <laughs> Rat. He's a gym Rat. You know, he's uh, he's all effort. Scrappy, definitely a scrapper. Um, but yeah, they're bringing these guys in. Albert Wilson. I mean, I was told. I was told by somebody that I trust that had uh, that had a lot of exposure to him, that he had you know damn near a photographic memory in kansas city and was looked at as sort of the quarterback of the wide receivers unit um so it's it's a, lo- a lot about the intellectual side that they brought to the table i don't know if it's so much about the um being a, a jerk kind of thing because if it was about the being a jerk stuff then they did the work last year i mean simon you and i were in that locker room we saw what jay Ajayi could be like yeah, uh 100%. in that locker room so i, 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 I think they already did that they already did that. They got rid of him. They made. They sent their message. Like I said, either it landed or it didn't land. We'll see. But right now, I think they're going with this sort of intellectual approach. That's why you've got the Danny Amendola, Albert Wilson signings and the Daniel Kilgore in there. Um, here's, a,
3: here's a question for you. I, I saw I saw an interview with Frank Gore yesterday. He was talking to uh, John Conjemi, who does the Dolphins website and the, some of those interviews. And he said, you know, what can you do to help Kenyon Drake uh, going into his third year? And Gore said, I can teach him. And I will teach him how to be a better athlete on the field and a better athlete off the field. I will teach him work ethic. I will teach him about what it takes to be a running back in the NFL. What happens to culture if Kenyon Drake rejects that?
1: Well, I'll, t- I'll tell a- you. I, I find that extremely interesting because last year there was a story going around about Cam Wake, and we know that you know not anybody can be Cam Wake, but that there was a story going around. I forgot who wrote it about Charles Harris and charles harris talking about that he didn't know and that was the exact quote he didn't know if he could do what cam wake does to get himself ready to play football now maybe guys certain guys are just cut out of that cloth and other guys aren't you know some guys actually take it as a 24 7 365 day a year job and other guys as soon as they get out of the locker room just check out but if that's where they're going with the culture and they need more cam wakes and that's the model of what type of player they want then yeah then i i guess good things are on the way but i don't buy that i don't know that
2: i buy this idea because we're talking about and and you bring up the question i think you know what happens if Kenyon drake doesn't take to it and you you brought up the point about charles harris it's easy i think charles harris even if he he acknowledged he really acknowledged flatly that he can't he can't do what uh, Cameron Wake does, and he's not going to. And it was actually a little bit, I remember the story that you're talking about. It was actually a little bit disturbing to hear him say that, that just right off the bat, I, I can't do exactly what Cameron Wake does. Um, but at the same time, Cameron Wake is special. He's a freak. We understand that. But it's easy to look up to Cameron Wake and see him as the benchmark by which you measure yourself. Uh, on your work ethic and your diet and what you do to to bring yourself to the games. Because Cameron Wake is still an elite player. He's still an elite pass rusher in this league. He was one of the most effective pass rushers even in 2017 of anybody out there. Uh, On the other hand, you're looking at Kenyon Drake. He's supposed to be the guy. Frank Gore is behind him. Frank Gore is going to be by the time we start the season and we if we if they do what we think we're going to do, they're going to do in the draft. And we'll talk about that later. uh, Then Frank Gore is going to be the number three running back. How much is Kenyon Drake really going to look at Frank Gore and and say that I need to do exactly what he does, because that's that's what it's all about. And that's what it takes to be great. You know, yeah, it sounds good. He'll take some lessons from it. But this isn't like a current all pro, okay? This isn't a guy with a, a stature on the team that can enforce this sort of uh, this sort of work ethic as a as a benchmark as a measuring stick.
1: Well, let so me. Ta- I, let me- I, I have
2: a hard time buying it.
1: Let me tell you what I found interesting. Also, I told you this about uh, I think on on Monday, Gase Gase had told somebody in pro personnel that he wanted uh, ready made players. He wanted set and forget players. Was the exact quote. Do you think that getting a Frank Gore, getting a Danny Mandola. he's actually signing babysitters for the guys that he wants mentored? Is that what he's trying to accomplish? So he doesn't uh, have to do the coaching himself?
3: A little bit, I think, a little bit. And uh, But you see that with other teams as well. I don't think Miami is the only team that that happens to. But, you know, let, uh, I mean, let's be honest. The elephant in the wide receiver room is Devontae Parker. Yes. Mm-hmm. You, you know, is Devontae Parker finally going to deliver? Is he going to stay healthy? Is he mentally the player... You know and people you you talk about physically mentally some people just aren't cut out to play in the NFL is Devontae Parker one of those people you know listen you can't judge what people do by watching them on social media but you know I follow a lot of the Dolphins players on Instagram the two hardest working players by a country mile on the Dolphins team who have not taken a day off since the end of the season are Rashad Jones and Leonte Carew okay the least hardworking person just by Instagram is Devontae Parker. And we, we had a conversation, you, the three of us, about Kenny Stills three weeks ago ripping into Devontae on Instagram saying he still hadn't sorted out his diet plan for the offseason. Come on, Devontae, you need to sort this out. You know This is a serious business and blah, blah, blah. And the next day there was another Instagram live where Kenny was like, finally Devontae sorted out his diet thing and Devontae's laughing about it and blah. And it's unfair to judge him solely on what people put up on Instagram. But given what we know over the last three or four years about Devontae Parker, it's a slightly worrying trend. So does Danny Amendola come in and say, look, son, you've got all the talent in the world. You're six foot 3 Your body beautiful. You're 214 pounds. You can run like the wind you've made catches that Odell Beckham is about the only guy in the league that can make but you need something needs to click something needs so I I totally get that you do that but that does happen around the league other teams you know and I think it's smart coaching in a way to bring in a guy that you know is going to contribute on the field as well but is also going to give a guy like Devontae Parker a kick up the rear end and try and make him into the player that everything says that he should be and the same with Gore and, and Drake so you know I, I applaud that because we're not the only team that's doing that.
2: Well, I think that uh, as far as Devonte Parker goes, uh, I just don't think that he's going to be a guy. He's going he's not going to be a pick you up guy. If things are going wrong, then he's not going to be yeah. he's not going to turn things around. He's not he's not ever going to be that. I yeah. think he's a guy that might feed off of his quarterback a little bit. So if the four or if the quarterback is getting him the ball and they're succeeding and they're having some success on offense, I think he's going to have success with them, and he might even make some plays there. But if things start to go wrong, I mean, and even while they're having success, he can go into a funk and then let you down. So. That's the kind of player he's going to be. I, I don't. I hate to say that, you know, the jury's in and the verdict is in on him, but I it's it's going to be hard for me to see him in a different light. Fat lady is
3: not singing, but she's warming yeah, up her voice. Definitely. Yeah,
2: she is certainly. And and speaking on the set it and forget it players, I don't think you get set it and forget it players that are thirty three years old. So I don't know that. Um, I don't know that they're really doing what Adam Gase is trying to do there. I think maybe you know that that whole statement might just be full of hot air i want to transition here because i know that our uh, our followers people that we know people that we talk to uh would probably uh do really bad things to us if we didn't talk about the draft because that seems to be a really favored topic of theirs um so i want to get into the draft i want to talk about as our third segment here um, you know what are you hearing? What do you think about the draft right now? What are the things that are foremost on your mind? I want to leave it open ended just in case you know you have anything in particular that you want to talk about. Uh, you know, Alf, I'll kick it to you first. Like, what are you hearing? What, what's what's the what's on the edge of your mind right now about the Dolphins and the draft this year?
1: Well, if we believe Adam Gase we're trading the next 15 1st round picks to take <laughs> Baker Mayfield number one. It's kind of obvious when you hear the T.J. McDonald statement and. You see that Rashad is really in favor, and he got an extension, reworked his contract. He's more in the fold. You know Rashad is really, really good as a box safety. So what makes the most sense, and what makes the most sense is a Minka Fitzpatrick, a Derwin James, and like that's where I think their focus should be, because I think those are the the most ready-made impact players that they can get in the draft. Now you know I'm also hearing scuttlebutt about. Vitavea and Deron Payne. More about Deron Payne. I, I don't know if they take Deron Payne at eleven. Isn't there kind of a sense of disappointment that you are, in essence, replacing Su with not only Deron Payne but Deron Payne and your number one draft pick and number eleven overall? Yeah, uh, you're running up. You're running up a down escalator. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I don't think uh, like that's not really a value. You know, move. So if you're looking for the the highest impact, now what's gonna get the fans excited, of course, is of course if they if they can move up. Like Baker Mayfield is gone, they can move up a uh, let's say Saquon Barkley is dropping, they can move up a couple of spots. They take Saquon Barkley, they run it 40 times a game. I'm talking about 45 touches between him and Kenyon Drake. We win 11 games, everybody's gonna be happy. But what's more realistic is to really target those two guys, Derwin James, Minka Fitzpatrick at number 11. I think that they offer the most value and the most upside and the most bang for your buck for that pick.
3: Yeah, I think we're down to 10 guys. I, I don't see an offensive player. If Barkley falls into your lap, okay, if Rosen falls, if, if Baker falls, uh, I, I, and I know that they clear, you know, you only see Gaze's face when he talked about Baker uh, on Monday. He clearly likes the kid. You know, he said uh, we've got really similar personalities. We just hit it off. We just get on. I just don't see them trading up for Baker. It's too obvious, unless it's the greatest kind of double bluff of all time. I just don't <laughs> see it because it doesn't help. It doesn't help with a 33 year old Amendola. It doesn't help with a 36 year old Cam Wake. It doesn't help with a, you know, a Robert Quinn. It doesn't help with all these different, you know, who could be released in a year because the contract's favorable to do that. I it doesn't. I, I don't know. I just think we're down to ten players and ten defensive players. And I think you know, Alpha's mentioned some of. them. Beta Veya is one. You know, Payne is another. Maurice Hurst, it depends how they feel about the heart situation in terms of how... uh, And we'll never know that unless they draft him, really, or or, or subsequently when it comes out that actually the Dolphins, you know, red-flagged him and that's... But, you know, uh, elite-level player. Harold Landry, and I only stick him in there just because, in terms of that, just ability from left defensive end specifically and Chris you crunched some fantastic numbers around that a while ago in terms of Landry and his ability from that specific position in terms of pure pass rush in terms of long-term Cam Wake replacement type guy otherwise I don't think we'd look at defensive end then you're looking at those three linebackers Edmonds who I really like but is 19 how much of a contribution is a 19 year old going to make early on especially with you know a lot of two linebacker sets because we play so much nickel so you know you're not going to have you know, and I assume that Alonzo and Raekwon will be the starters. So, how much is the kid going to play? You're looking obviously at Roquan Smith and uh, and, and Rashawn Evans, who, who they're bringing into Davy as one of their 30 visits, and then you're looking in the secondary. And I think you talk about three secondary players: Denzel Ward, who can play inside and outside, elite footwork, the best footwork uh, certainly I've seen in this draft. Uh, Derwin James is just the, the you know elite athlete. Alpha, you know, talk about alpha dogs. You talk about you know culture and leadership. Crikey, this kid is. You know, we've talked about the, you know, what they say at Florida State about him. When when Derwin talks, everybody listens, and, and by that you mean that's coaches, that's players, that's administrators, that's everybody. He is the, you know, he is the lead dog, and I think you know they they compare it to sort of when Dion was there. So that's you know twenty five years, twenty years, um, and then Minka. And what Minka does is he can play all six positions, and it means that we can finally. You know, we can play three, you know, you can play four, three, you can play nickel, you can play big nickel and you don't have to change personnel because he can do so much. The one question I have about Minka is how much better is he going to get? That would be my slight concern. You know, has he maxed out as a player? How much more improvement is to coming? You look at, you look at, you look at Derwin and you kind of think, you know, he could just develop into something really special. Minka is really good already. How much better is he going to get? But I I, I do think we're pretty much down to 10 players. Unless we deal down, and then that brings in a whole raft of other of other things. But that's kind of where I see it at the moment.
2: And I'll pick up I'll pick up right on Menka actually, uh, since you brought him up uh, last. I will say this: that in terms of how much better you can get, uh, let's keep in mind that this is this is still a young kid that tested well uh, physically. He's yeah. a very good player. He's fast. He's built well. I mean, he works out well, so he's explosive. He's got range. Um, and he hasn't been allowed to really focus on one position yet, has he?
3: Very true. Very good point. So,
2: so uh, if, if he's not been allowed to focus on one position, maybe that is the source of upside right there. How much better can he get? Well, stick him in at deep safety, and let's find out. You know, uh, that's that's what uh, that's what where, the Dolphins could do.
3: Where do you guys see him as, as his best position? I know he's talked about it. I I, I saw Alabama twice live last season, and uh, down the sidelines for sort of two and a half quarters against lsu and against mississippi state when they came back to win he can get a little bit grabby on the perimeter he does get a little bit handsy down the field you know he's not we're not talking about a jalen ramsey type of you know the transfer he's very good at corner sometimes he just gets you know he can get grab hold of people to me he's a better safety than he is a corner although you could absolutely play him on any of those spots and be more than comfortable Where do you guys think he matches up?
2: Continuing on, I would say that the deep center is is where he can make a difference because of his range and his ball skills. So I think that, and we're talking about T.J. McDonald and and Rashad Jones and how that was sort of an awkward fit. That starts to look a little bit different, maybe if you um, if you go with some three safety looks yeah. with you know uh, Minka Fitzpatrick down in the deep center and T.J. McDonald sort of in a rover position and Rashad and Whip. I mean, that's yeah. that. That looks start to looks looks like it makes sense at that point. But also so, you can um, mix
3: that up and put Minka in different positions. You can you know you can disguise different. All of a sudden, those guys can almost rotate, and offenses won't particularly know who's going to. Obviously, if you're playing single high deep safety, you're going to know who's playing single high deep safety. Well, but, well you let, know, me tell you, are, let me
1: tell you what I saw when, when I spoke to Chris about a month ago about you know the corner position and as far as the, you know all the DBs coming out. The guy that I really liked ahead of Minka Fitzpatrick on the perimeter was Tavares McFadden. Now he's fallen out of favor with a lot of the draft Knicks. and. and
3: he's slower games. than you, dude.
1: Yeah. He's still running. as forty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, do you believe? Do you believe how he ran in his underwear in Indianapolis, or how he, well, he played on football fields? Did it again at, did at, did FSU? It again at the
3: Florida State uh-huh. Pro Day as well. He ran really slowly at the FSU Pro Day. You know, this is. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, it, and we talked about whether or not he was injured at the time. If he was injured, he wouldn't have run again at, in Tallahassee. And he ran in Tallahassee, and he ran slow as molasses again. So okay. that's got to be a concern. That has so to be why a does
1: thing. he play good is what I'm asking. Well, what you have to ask is,
2: is, is he another Tease Tabor? Um, yeah. And Tease Tabor was also slow as molasses when he, when he got on the field and ran. And prior to that, he had been rated, and a lot of people had considered him maybe even the top corner out there. And, uh, look what they did with him. Uh, he's in Detroit now and they, they've made him a safety and he's been a pretty good guy, particularly in their dime coverages and their nickel coverages, I think. Um, and who do we have now, uh, as our defensive backs coach, we have Tony Oden. So, um, if you're looking, if you're looking for an example and what we could do with, uh, with McFadden um, you know, aside from give him a wheelchair, uh, I think that um, that, yeah, you're looking at, you're looking at what the dolphins do with their, with Tony Oden and his coverages and his uh, sort of Nick Saban, you know, sort of influenced coverages. I think that he's, he's coached with a lot of Nick Saban guys. I think when we fast, when, when we fast forward and get through this and we get past the draft, if they take Minka Fitzpatrick at the number 11 overall position, we're going to look back at hindsight and say, boy that made that should have made sense the whole time you yeah. know that that yeah. should have been that should have been the guy that we were looking at Nick Saban guy with you know co- he was wasn't he referred to as basically Saban junior on the field yeah, because he was absolutely. like a coach on the field um, you know Adam Gase is a Nick Saban guy uh Tony Oden, Oden his yeah. his coach his coaching uh, style in the secondary is very Saban influence he hired a Nick Saban guy and Ronaldo Hill to to go under him I mean, in the end, we'll look at that and we'll say, well, duh. you know. And, and so that's that's the thing to watch out for.
1: Well, let me ask you guys uh, one quick thing. Uh, a guy that I've heard him compared to, and I kind of see it, but I think Minka's more versatile, is HaHa Clinton Dix. When he came out, I remember hearing that, that pro personnel side on the Dolphins was enamored with him. They didn't take him. But do you see the comparison? Do you think that that's who he can be in the NFL? I think
3: he's... I think he's more versatile and I think he's a better athlete. Uh, and also, uh, I think, you know, talk to the Green Bay people, Clinton Dix struggled a lot last year and he's kind of fallen a little bit off the, the radar in terms of his his sort of pro bowl ability. I just think Mink is just a better all-around player and he's done it more consistently over, you know, this is a kid who showed up as a freshman and performed at a really high level. And, you know, here's a quote for you, just to f- sort of follow up on all Chris's kind of joining the dots in terms of the the Odens and the Nick Sabans and Adam Gase and all that sort of thing. He's not, this is a scout. He's not quite on the same level of Jamal Adams when it comes to changing the entire culture of a locker room, but he will certainly help do that. And he is just as talented and probably more versatile. I mean, again, we can look back on this in a few months' time if he's the pick and go, duh, this was in our faces the whole time. I mean, he ticks all the boxes. And actually, for all the talk about us trading up to pick Baker Mayfield, I could could absolutely see us trading up to pick Fitzpatrick.
2: Yeah, I think he fits the defense so well, and he would play a role that they need, and that they, you know, that would make the defense better immediately. I think that absolutely, you're right. Uh, I think we're running out of time, Here, so I want to, I want to get us through this, uh, guys. We're gonna leave it here, and we're gonna pick it up next week. I want everybody to make sure to look for us on Twitter, on Podbean on iTunes and on the Five Reasons Network. We are 3 Yards Per Carry, and we will see you next week.
3: Thanks for listening to 3 Yards Per Carry.
2: You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.